Good morning, everybody. What a great morning, huh? Uh, do you ever wonder what kind of world, as adults, what kind of world we've created for kids today? Time Magazine on November uh, 6th of 2016 uh, told about that. And it's not very often that Time Magazine agrees with uh, the church, frankly. Uh, but uh, we can agree on this one, this cover article. Uh, and the title of the article is this, The Kids Are Not All Right. I'm going to read from it. The first time Faith Ann Bishop cut herself she was in eighth grade, and let me just say, I understand when I talk about this that I'm talking to people who have struggled, are struggling with this. I do not in any way mean to belittle this or make light of cutting. But she was in eighth grade. It was two in the morning as her parents slept. She sat on the edge of the tub in her home with a metal clip in her hand. There was blood and a deep sense of relief. Quote, it makes the world a very quiet place for a few minutes, she said. The pain of the superficial wound was a momentary escape from the anxiety she was fighting constantly. Anxiety about grades, about her future, about relationships, about everything. Many days she felt before school, sometimes she'd throw up. Other times she was so ill she'd stay home. It was like asking me in high school to climb Mount Everest every day in high heels, she said. The article goes on to say, adolescents today have a reputation for being more fragile and less resilient and more overwhelmed than their parents were when they were growing up. I just want us to know as adults, yes, we were seven, yes, we were 10, yes, we were 13, 15. None of us as adults were the age our kids are today. Uh, the world they're growing up in is vastly different and the stakes are way higher in the world we grew up in. Sometimes they're called spoiled or coddled or helicoptered. But a closer look, the article says, paints a far more heartbreaking portrait. Anxiety and depression in high school kids today have been on the rise since 2012. It's a phenomenon that cuts across all demographics, suburban, urban, rural, those who are college-bound, those who aren't affecting one-third of the girls and one-fifth of the boys who today in high school have an anxiety disorder, according to data from the National Institute of Mental Health. Experts are suspecting the statistics are way higher than this because many who have anxiety and depression don't report it. The article lands saying in dozens of conversations with teens, parents, clinicians, school counselors across the country, there was a pervasive sense that being a teenager today is draining. It's a full-time job that includes doing schoolwork, managing social media and your identity on it. And by the way, that is the core of what's causing, this article says, all of the pain in high schoolers. Uh, because they're aware of the pain all over the country and all around the world because of social media. And I'm not down on social media. But uh, they also see these images being presented that they can never live up to in social media. Um, so it says it's a draining full-time job, including doing schoolwork, managing social media identity, fretting about your career, climate change, terrorism, sexism, racism, you name it. Every fight or slight is documented online in social media for hours and days, it says. Here's the last words. It's exhausting. Now, I grew up in a bedroom community called Novato, 45 miles from here. There were 30,000 residents in that city when I grew up. I grew up very sheltered. Uh, my dad had the same job 
my whole life, his whole life, the same job. We had the same house. He drove the same kind of cars. I never worried about my parents divorcing. Uh, I get it, right? I had it pretty good. But never once, as, as crazy as I would describe my adolescence or my childhood, I would never use the word exhausting. It was anything but. Do you ever wonder what kind of world as adults we've created for our kids? I've lived here 20 years. I've got five kids. Three are out of the house. Two are still in. And while they were in the house, their whole world was the world I created. We lived in Redwood City because of my career. Uh, they went to the schools. They did because Ann and I prayed about it and sent them to the different schools we sent them to. Uh, they had friends they played with because they would ask us, do you approve, do you not approve? And it goes on and on and on. Their world was the world I created for them. Sadly, I don't know that I did such a good job. Growing up, I would just tell you, maybe your, your experience was like me, or maybe it was like this girl on the cover of that Time Magazine article. But I should say to all of us, the people of God should be burdened by this reality, which is only heightened here on the peninsula. I, I don't want to all out depress us by talk about how much anxiety and pressure is heightened here on the peninsula. And we all know about the epidemic, as it's called, of kids throwing themselves in front of trains so that uh, police officers have to be at certain railroad crossings that are popular for kids to end their life with. Exhausting doesn't even begin to touch. But my question is, and I know you are, but does it burden the people of God? Do we look at our parish, the city, and say, not on our watch? As the people of God are here, we've got to do something about this. And then we've got to back up and ask, do we really define children the way Jesus did? Do we f define parents our own children the way Jesus did? A blessing, not a burden. In this series, Bless This Home, this week we come to Bless the Kids. And uh, this through line we've been using, it's on the bottom of page one of your message notes. And we're just going to stay on page one. Page two is for you to take home and work through on your own. But the through line we've been using is this. We're not just a Christian home. We are a Christ-centered home. Jesus isn't just part of our home. stays in the closet. We bring him out on Sunday morning and take him to church and then put him back in his place. He's the center of our home. And what we're going to talk about today is God uh, not just giving our kids and the people of God not just giving every PCC kid, but our vision as a church for every kid on this peninsula, every kid to have an alternative to exhausting. The temptation this morning, I imagine, is for you to go, my kids are grown, or I don't have kids in the church, or bummer, I picked the wrong Sunday to come to church. Um, but this is for you because we have to own what goes on out there. That's our vision, not just about here, but what's out there to make this a safe place for every kid. Having said that, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. And let's look at this story that's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those are called synoptic gospels, and it's listed in every one. And it's positioned right before another story. We'll talk about that in a minute. Mark chapter 10, verse 13. Here's what's cool. If you're not familiar with the Bible, I want you to grab the Pew Bible. Get, so we're at Mark 10, 13. Guess what page it's on in the Pew Bible? 1013. It's awesome. <laughs> Isn't that cool how God does that? So uh, page 1013, you'll find it. Mark chapter 10. Is everybody there? Okay. Mark chapter 10. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. So that word children, so the Bible is not written in English. It was written in Greek, a dead Greek language now. Uh, the word uh, Mark uses for children is the general word for kids. 
Uh, um, Luke, in writing the same account, uses a different word, which is the word for babies up to three years old. Okay, so these aren't teenagers. Uh, by Jesus' day, when you were a teenager, you were an adult, but uh, teenagers didn't even exist in Jesus' day. These are small kids, infant to three years old. Uh, and, and parents are bringing their babies to Jesus, okay? And I get this, right? Um, if, if you're in the crowd and you hear all that Jesus is doing, you understand a little more as an adult his love. You see his power displayed in healing, and you hear his teaching about eternal life. Of course, these parents want their children to share in that, even their babies. I mean, what Christ-centered parent, obviously, we're concerned that our kids like us as adults. We're much more concerned they love Jesus they like us, right? So these parents are listening to the crowd. Can you identify as a parent? You're like, man, Jesus, I want you to touch my baby. I want you to bless my baby. But look at this. The disciples, that wouldn't be the crowds, that wouldn't be the religious people, that wouldn't be Israel's enemy. That would be people like you and me. The apprentices, the ones endeavoring to have a Christ-centered home. What do they do? Look at this. They rebuke them. Literally, it means they intensely reprimanded them. They were ticked. Uh, the noun form of that word means to punish. It's a punishment. Uh, they were shaming the parents. They were saying, what are you doing? Uh, their worldview was that children had no place before God. And we'll build this out in about five minutes. It was the general religious Jewish worldview of the day, that children added nothing to God. They couldn't be good, especially a small baby. All they could do is, you know, be cared for. So why would you bring him to Jesus? You're only loved by God if you're good. That was the predominant Jewish um, thought of the day. So already, note, there are two types of people when it comes to Jesus. If Jesus is behind the door, Really, and I just, I just had a conversation yesterday with my daughter. I was like, hey, life isn't black and white. It, it's nuanced. you got to be careful with some of these things. But I'm going to be binary with you. When it comes to Jesus from this story, you're either a bringer and fostering and fueling and doing everything you can to let kids come to Christ. Not just the kids in your home. I'm talking the kids in your neighborhood. I'm talking the kids in this church. I'm talking the kids in our parish called the peninsula. You're either a bringer or you are a barrier. Through your looks, through your priorities, through um, how you comment to kids, you are shutting a door in their face. Through your priorities. I know it's a tension in this church. We only have so many resources. We only have so many rooms. We have one dedicated children's building that we've outgrown a decade ago. And so we're putting kids in adult rooms. But the major thing that grieves me, and I get it, right, is that we're telling kids, come to the adult room, but we're going to keep it in an adult room. I think that's kind of a barrier. I suppose my dream is to make it a campus where kids love to come. My dream is at 8 a.m., kids are saying, wake up, mom, wake up, dad, come on, we got to go to church, we got to go to church. Why wouldn't we just turn all the adult rooms into kid rooms and have adults come into kids' rooms to learn about Jesus? Oh, thank you. Oh, thanks. We're going to take an offering right now for a building project. 
Bringers bless, barriers block. Bringers bless, barriers block. What in your words, what in your habits, what in your character, I've asked myself this all week long, is aiding in bringing kids to Christ. What in your words, what in your priorities, what in your character is putting a barrier before kids in Christ? I saw this a week ago, Friday night. Um, I was with my daughter, Bella, and we were going on a date. And we parked at Sequoia Station, and you get three hours free parking at Sequoia Station. And we walked across the tracks to the movie theater. And as we were going across the tracks, behind us were two teenage girls. And uh, on their phone, they were playing music through Bluetooth, and they had a speaker. And I am telling you, it was the most vulgar song I've ever heard. I am telling you, expletives, I am telling you, the way this singer, I don't even know what song it was, was talking about women was just outright offensive. And I could see and hear my daughter. I could just know what was going through her mind. Calm down, Dad. Don't say anything, Dad. Don't say anything, Dad. And I'm not the morality police, but it bugged me that my 15-year-old, and she's at Sequoia. She hears that kind of stuff. If she went to Woodside, she wouldn't hear that. But at Sequoia, <laughs> just kidding. She heard that at King's Academy. Right? It's not the school. It's the human condition of sin in the hearts. Anyway, uh, I had the opportunity to be a bringer or a barrier. You know what I chose? Not, I mean, I thought about this, and the Holy Spirit convicted me. I was a barrier. Uh, I turned to them, nice, but I said, hey, can you turn your music down? Hey, can you turn your music down? And I was talking about this amongst our pastoral staff, going, what, how could that be different? And, and one of them said, you know, it would have been nice for you maybe to turn and go, hey, I'm, I'm Gary. What's your name? Instead of objectify them. And just learn maybe they have a backstory that prompts that kind of music. Maybe they don't have a dad that takes them on dates. Maybe there's other things so that they live under that moniker of what that vile music was saying about them as females. Except what I did was put a barrier up. Hey, can you turn down that music? And the girl was doing it and her friend says, you don't need to turn down that music. You don't need to listen to this guy. And then we just kept walking. See, it's little stuff like that that puts a barrier, I surely didn't turn and say, oh, and by the way, Jesus loves you at that point, right? Because I objectified them to confession. What would it look like as a church to be fanatical about bringing kids to Christ like never before? What would our community be like if we decided not to be afraid of teenagers, but to cross the divide as adults and to get to know a name when blaring music that's offensive is playing? Verse 14, you still in your Bibles? You still got them open? Verse 14, when Jesus saw this, he was really happy. Is that what it says? No. So in the Greek language, it's really, um, really precise. There's eight words for love. You've heard that before. The most popular, eros, philos, uh, agape. Um, there's a whole word group for anger. This is the most extreme word for anger in the Bible. Uh, it is righteous wrath on display. I want you to sit in that, and here's what I really want you to sit in. It's the only time that word is used with Jesus. He had a lot to be angry about in his righteous wrath. He's God. He's holy. He's sinless. Imagine coming on the human race and seeing everything broken that you created for good and all the destruction it caused. He wasn't indignant when he was turning over tables. Uh, he wasn't indignant when he was talking to the Pharisees. He wasn't even indignant when Judas kissed him on the cheek. 
He wasn't indignant as they were nailing him to a cross. The only time Jesus' righteous wrath comes out is when kids are being prevented from coming to him. What does that say about us and our priorities as people of God? And this is radical in light of Roman culture. In the Roman Empire, when Jesus lived regarding kids, it was outright dangerous to be a child in the Roman Empire. Only 50% of kids who were born lived to see their 10th birthday. 50% attrition rate. Parents had all the rights with their kids, the dads specifically. And kids were left out all the time on the side of the road and discarded like trash. If something happened, the parents didn't like them. If parents didn't like a certain gender, they could discard their kids and did all the time. And does anyone want to guess what gender that was? It was just terrible. Jesus changed all that. They would sell their kids into slavery. Jesus' treatment of and teaching about children led to the forbidding of such practices, as well as orphanages and godparents. Even um, 18 years ago now, 17 years ago, I was in Ethiopia with some of our missionaries, Trent and Tabby Cox, and they are on the pioneer. They're pioneer missionaries. They're reaching a just-reached tribe with the gospel. And we went for a walk to an unreached tribe, and uh, I met a uh, Buna tribe person who had been left out because the Buna people in southern Ethiopia believed if your bottom teeth came in before your top teeth, you were cursed. And they would leave those kids out to be eaten by wild animals or just die. And so I'm meeting this man, and Trent says, he's a Buna, he's an adult Buna evangelist. He was left out. But this tribe, the church, they're just going around looking for kids who are left out, and they're taking them in. They're taking them in. And then eight years after I went on the trip, they saw what these kids became and how you know, they came to Christ. And, and they were so good for the community, they outlawed that practice because the people of God followed Jesus in valuing children. Verse 14, so what does he do with this righteous indignation? He takes his strength and his anger, we'll talk about this on Father's Day, and he channels it for good. He said, let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. He doesn't say the kingdom of God belongs to these particular Jewish children. He says the kingdom of God belongs to this class of people, small babies who have nothing to add to God. The kingdom of God belongs to these. Truly I tell you, if anyone will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child, you will never enter it. And he t- I love this. He took the children in his arms. Literally, it means he enfolded them in his arms. He gave them a bear hug. And then it says he blessed them. He placed his hands on them and blessed them. The grammar builds out one by one by one by one. There was a line. And Jesus just took one at a time. And you can see the disciples, right? Come on, man. we got to go save the world. Bless you. I am. Bless you, little child. One child at a time. I bless you, little child. I bless you, little child. By the way, Jesus never blessed anyone who was cursed. I say that just to say, uh, there's good teaching from this passage. And again, I'm not talking fact, but you got to look at this and go, wow, what does happen to babies who die? People point to this as the seminal passage. Jesus never blessed a cursed person. Never. They had nothing to add to the kingdom of God, yet he pronounces intense 
blessing on them. Which, by the way, ran in the face of Judaism. In Judaism, children were throwaways too. They didn't disregard them like the Roman Empire, but they thought, you have nothing to add. You have to grow up and show your righteous acts. And then if you're good enough, God will love you. That was the teaching of Judaism. They had law after law after law. Do this, do this, do this. What's interesting is Matthew, Mark, and Luke each put this story, and then right behind it, they put one of those quote-unquote righteous adults, the rich young ruler, right after the story. You can see it in Mark 10, you see it in Matthew, you see it in Luke. They both put them right away. Here's a child, a baby, who can barely even speak up to three years old, and a baby, who has nothing to add to Jesus. And Jesus says, you are blessed. The kingdom of God belongs to you. Here is a rich uh, commandment-following Jewish person who'd been to synagogue, hadn't missed it. In the eye, world's eyes, he was righteous, quote-unquote. And Jesus says, you can go away. And he turns from him and walks away. He's the cursed one. He kept all the laws. He attended church. He opened his Bible. But Jesus invited him into a deeper relationship. He couldn't get grace. And so he walked away. Does anyone see the gospel in that? Is anyone here as a follower of Christ, is that not your story? You have nothing to add to Jesus? You come to him in humility like a child? You put your faith in Christ, not having done anything? All you bring to Christ is the sin that put him on the cross in the first place? It's all you have to bring to him. And Jesus says, your humility, your childlike faith, come to me. The kingdom of God belongs to you. That's called grace. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke put all those stories, line them up that way, because they want to highlight grace. I know, I know it's almost, you know, it's noon, uh, I know it's hot, but that gets me excited, everybody. Oh my gosh, that's amazing, really. So, Gospels pointed out, the disciples missed the whole point, I've got to land this plane, of the value of children. And this is what Jesus is addressing. Listen, very, I think you're going to see yourself, I did in here. The disciples thought that Jesus needed protection from bothersome children. What Jesus points out is that it's the children who need protection from misguided adults and the world we've created for them. It's the children who need protection, not adults. So he says to the adults, stop hindering them. Keep the door open. Change your priorities. I've had parents, oh gosh, do I really want to go here? I'm not. Change your priorities. Sacrifice whatever needs to take. Not because we idolize kids, but because Jesus prioritized. So I don't want to point to you. Jesus prioritized kids. He prioritized them, right? So are you a bringer or are you a builder? In your parenting, are you a bringer or are you a barrier? Sorry. Most of my barrier parenting comes because my kids were an inconvenience to me. My time, my priorities. When I had the perfect opportunity to show them grace, I didn't. And thank God for grace, right, and resiliency in kids. I want you to meet a bringer. And this guy was, well, you'll see it. I don't need to tell you about him. Look at how easy bringing can be. Watch this. Finally tonight here, America Strong, the teacher determined to give every child a voice, convinced he could get them to open up, even flourish, if only they felt accepted. Tonight, watch what happens here when he brings a small camera, a tripod, and finally gives them the starring role. He carries with him a simple toolkit, a tripod, a camera, and a light. Chris Ulmer travels the country to find children who rarely get their moment to shine. 
It's nice to meet you. That's Lana in Boston, and this is Sophia. Tell me one thing that's special about you. I'm Brittany. Chris is a special education teacher from Jacksonville, Florida, who had an idea that he would crisscross the country to make sure the lonely children were lonely no longer. I'm happy we got to meet today. Mm-hmm. I'm happy too. I saw so much of myself in the kids. I was always a little bit of a loner. And when I went into that classroom, I saw myself. Hi, everyone. A teacher who was in the classroom at first, but who is now determined to take what he learned from the children far beyond. I saw children who could flourish, who could grow if they were just accepted. How does that feel? <laughs> That's eight-year-old Marilee in Tampa Bay. At first, he wanted to create a series of books with the faces and the stories behind them. He would call it Special Books by Special Kids. His idea was rejected by 50 publishers, so he decided to do it on his own, creating a nonprofit and his own Facebook page with more than a million followers now. Some of the children he meets are nonverbal, but he's giving them a moment, too. And then there was Morgan on the left and his high school sweetheart, Marielle. And a simple question from Chris. No, actually. Will you always love Morgan? Yes. Oh my gosh! Jesus. Why? His heart. <laughs> and it's Chris's heart behind the camera that has now fueled more than 500 videos. I've learned that everyone has the ability to change someone's life. And it can be something as simple as smiling, saying hello. It doesn't take much to change the world. You're my best friend. You want to be best friends? Yeah. Peace. It's beautiful, isn't it? Bottom line for us as a church community, and certainly for Christ-centered home as parents, children were made for God. Children were made for God. They're a blessing. Psalm 127, verse 5. Blessed is the woman, blessed is the man whose quiver is full of children. Blessed is a community like ours that's bursting out of the seams, that's outgrown their children's building. Blessed is a, a community like ours where people pay who would never come on a Sunday morning because they don't feel safe here, but they'll give us their kids and pay us for them five days a week through our school-age child care. Blessed is a church like ours that ministers to thousands of kids a week across the bridge through sport. Blessed is a church like ours that God has opened doors through PE Plus and a grant through the Sequoia Healthcare Foundation, close to half a million dollars every year, so that uh, tons of staff, five days a week on eight grammar school campuses, every day teaching PE and praying over and blessing children in Jesus' name. Children are a blessing. The one thing adults ought to concern us ourselves about with respect to children Don't be a barrier. Don't be a barrier. Be a bringer. Get out of the way. Smile. Learn their names. Love them in Jesus' name. How would your parenting or view of kids change if I told you that in your home, that studying those kids that keeps you up at night is actually going to be, what if I told you, is actually going to be the next generation's Mother Teresa? or the next generation's Martin Luther King Jr. How would your parenting change if, and I really do believe this, that the kids in my home will be the generation that sees the visible bodily return of Jesus Christ in their generation, and you are preparing the generation to fulfill the Great Commission in their generation. 
How would uh, this change if I told you that at this day camp where we say volunteers are needed, or at John Gill where we need readers right now for an hour a week through Redwood City Reads or Peninsula Literacy Coalition? What if I told you that John Gill right now is the next generation's Nelson Mandela, who is going to be the great orator to rally a generation around an amazing cause, only he doesn't know how to read yet. And God's entrusting you with an hour a week to teach that young boy who will be a great man or woman of God to read. Would that change your priorities at all? What I'm saying is this. We are launching an arrow with these kids into the future. And what if I just vision June 26th, what if someone, their whole job, a whole army, I can just see it right now, right outside those steps, your whole job is to greet kids when they come off the, uh, the parking lot. And you invested that hour, just greeted them. So every day they knew there's going to be some adult who's just might smell weird and all that stuff, but he greeted me and knew my name. It would change everything. It would change everything. And so I just want to say one time again, critical to raising kids in a Christ-centered home, get out of the way. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with his presence, his power, and be a bringer. Look beyond their deeds to their needs. And that's what page two and three is all about. Five needs, I really believe, God is entrusting parents and a church to meet in the lives of kids. I believe this, and I'm closing right now with all my heart. Whoever wins the kids wins the city. Whoever wins the kids wins the city. Let's just have it said on our watch that no teenager ever has to use the word exhausting to depict their childhood again. Amen? Father, thank you so much for your love and thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that you have spoken and it's clear, Lord. I thank you that I'm not the Holy Spirit, but you are. God, and that you can take this passage and bring application to our lives. Lord, what needs to change? We don't idolize kids, but we do want them to have the priority you have. Father, we pray over this city and over this campus and over every place that PCC touches that it would be a place where kids thrive. We know ultimately that only happens when they come to know you. So we pray for that, a revival, an awakening amongst this place. We love you. Jesus, thank you. I can't wait for you to hold me like you did those little kids. Ah, oh, that'll be great. Until then, find us faithful, we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.